It's S in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith and Matt. Saturday Night Live, episode 24, starring Chris Christopherson, originally aired on July 31st, 1976. And it's, it is episode 24, and that means we are on the last episode of the season. My name is Keith, and with me, as always, is Matt. Hello, Matt. Hello, very excited for our season finale. Yeah, and joining us to wrap it all up is uh, Chili, back for his uh, fourth visit. Welcome, Chili. Howdy, Keith. Howdy, Matt. Hello. <laughs> and uh, Chili, you were specifically asked for this one because you are uh, something of a Chris Christopherson fan. Am I correct? Uh, I am. You're actually 100% correct. Uh, I've been a pretty big fan of uh, Chris Christopherson ever since I started getting into Outlaw Country, which probably would have been my early 20s or so. So, you know, I'm a pretty big fan. And even after doing the research for this episode, I was surprised the things that Chris Christopherson has to show us. Now, I mean, it's it's well known he's a singer and an actor, but you are you're a fan of the, the music more so than the, the acting. Am I correct there? That is actually very correct. Fan of the music. I've seen a few of the acting things he was, but as far as like this time frame, you know, 70s, even going into the 80s, I didn't really see a whole lot of his uh, previous acting. So as far as the acting side of what we're going to see tonight, uh, you know, some of it's going to be a surprise, some of it won't. So we'll see. Well, normally I take this point in time to go in and talk about our our host for tonight, but uh, due to your... uh affinity with the subject chili i'm going to turn over the host bio to you so tell us about chris christopherson absolutely believe it or not chris christopherson is not a stage name his real name is christopher christopherson uh he was born in june 22nd 1936 in beaumont texas he was an army brat who eventually settled in southern california uh like most army brats it seemed like you know the pretty military discipline of his uh father in particular really kind of rubbed off on him because he seemed to be a bit of a renaissance man in, in his early days um seemed to excel at a lot of things his early interests include writing uh, at a very early age uh but he was also uh very athletic so he graduated summa cum laude from his university where he settled in i believe it's a pomona pomona university in southern california if you're not familiar, summa cum laude is usually awarded to the top 1% to 5% of your class. So very smart guy. And he was also a star athlete. Uh, he was featured in Sports Illustrated in March 1958 for what uh, segment they called Faces in the Crowd, which basically highlighted you know promising university athletes. He excelled at football, track and field, and uh, for myself, this hits very close to the heart, and I did not know until yesterday when I was researching them. Uh, he was apparently excellent at the sport of rugby, which I play myself. After graduating from his uh, university in the States, he actually became a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford University. From there, he became a, a pretty well-acclaimed boxer for the university and continued playing rugby for Oxford, which if you know anything about the sport of rugby union, it's much difficult, much more difficult to play over in Europe than it is here in North America. After school, he reluctantly joined the U.S. Army, seemingly uh, attaining the rank of captain, and he decided to just 
goddamn well fly helicopters. He didn't really enjoy the army life that much, though, and he left to pursue his dream of becoming a songwriter. And despite all of his former accomplishments, he kind of struggled for a while. He uh, apparently got a job as a janitor, and the first time he ever heard one of his songs in the radio was when he was doing the graveyard shift, cleaning up at, I think it was a university. And eventually he picked up, you know, some odd jobs here and there with the Coast Guard doing uh, flying a helicopter. And one day he just decided, frigate, I'm just going to land a helicopter right in Johnny Cash's front yard to deliver my songs that I think that he would enjoy. The trick seemed to work. Both Chris Christopherson and Johnny Cash have different uh, opinions of the story, but regardless... The trick worked, and uh, Johnny Cash ended up recording Chris Christopherson's hit Sunday Morning Coming Down, which was a huge hit for Johnny Cash and also won Christopherson a, uh, I believe it was a Country Music Songwriter of the Year award. You know, from there, he went on to not just perform his own songs, but also performed hits, such, also wrote hits such as Sunday Morning Coming Down, uh, If We Make It Through the Night, and my personal favorite, Jody and the Kid. But perhaps his most famous song and um, the most famous version of it is the uh, Me and Bobby McGee by his then-girlfriend, Janis Joplin, which became a posthumous number one for her and is arguably one of the most famous songs of the last 50 to 100 years. Uh, At some point, he was married to a lady named Fran Beer, which is the best name a country music wife could ever have. And throughout the 70s, the handsome Christofferson dabbled in acting, acting in films such as Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, and Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Movie titles were much longer back in the 70s than they are now. In 1973, he married Rita Coolidge, who we'll see tonight, and that pretty much all brings us up to tonight's show. So the question is, will a star be born? Or will Chris need help to make it through the night? Thank you, Chili. That was very thorough and and, and tremendously well done. Thank you. So uh, just some notes about the show. Chris was extremely drunk. Um, He barely made it through the dress rehearsal. This is all alleged, but uh, alleged by a lot of people. Um, And Neil Levy, uh, production assistant, uh, sometimes appears, and cousin to Lorne Michaels, said that shortly before the show went to air, Lorne sent people for pots and pots and pots of coffee to wake Christofferson up out of his his stupor to sober him up a little bit. Uh, I mean, we'll get into it more, but is that apparent to you guys that Chris is a little uh, inebriated? Yeah, I would say it's safe to assume that there was a little something uh, affecting his performance tonight. At first, it was hard to tell if it was nerves or not, but I am not surprised to hear that you know, he did need a bit of help to make it through the night. Definitely seemed drunk. Seemed drunk. Yeah. So uh, let's just jump right into the show. So uh, the intro, we have Chris Christopherson sitting at home base, and he's singing Help Me Make It Through the Night, which was, as Chili mentioned, one of his biggest hits of the at the time. Um, Chili, you know this era of country certainly more than I do. Is Help Me Make It Through the Night a bigger hit with country fans than uh, Me and Bobby McGee is? Uh, I would say, I mean, me and, Bob, me and Bobby McGee obviously had much more crossover appeal. But yeah, Help Me Make It Through the Night, I did win several like country music awards for it. So it was a big hit for him. And it was covered by some mainstream acts as well. But I think for mm-hmm. the most part, yeah, it's a bigger country song. 
video cuts to Chevy Chase. He's lying in bed waiting to uh, begin some intercourse with his lady friend who was played by Rita, Rita Coolidge. She's trying to take a, a hairpiece out of her head and uh, she's trying to pop the bobby pins out, but one seems to have gotten stuck. So Chevy's trying to help her get the bobby pins out and he pulls really hard and he flies off stage. He gives the uh, live from New York at Saturday night. It's the uh, last one of the season. Um, I like Chris Christopherson's singing on this one. It's, it's it's another variation on The Fall, but this wasn't anything special. I didn't care for it. The Fall was really poorly lit. Uh, I didn't really get to see the impact. He just kind of popped up afterward in the light and delivered the line. Uh, the bit with the hair, I didn't find funny. This uh, I don't know about starting the show with a song, but that's just me. I think our thousands and thousands of listeners know how I feel about the amount of music this season. In a way, I kind of enjoyed the fact it started with the song, just because at this point, he's still primarily known as a musician more so than an actor. But yeah, the fall being so poorly lit, I almost wondered if Chevy just said, you know what, we're at the end of the season, I'm getting the shit kicked out of me, like, give me a mash or something, just don't light it. I will say, though, like, (laughs) Chevy was like 1970s ripped, though. Uh, Maybe it was something (laughs) where... I know at least the episodes I've watched, it really seemed to be pretty misogynistic, especially with like um, Raquel Welsh. So maybe this was their way of saying, yeah, you know what? The, the girls like Chevy take a shirt off. But yeah, the joke, even being a fan of the song, I don't think that song is being something about taking something from your hair. And I'll give it I don't know, five out of 10. So then we go to the monologue and this is also a little strange, different from what we're used to. It's uh, Christopherson just does a short bit where he says the executives behind SNL didn't think he could do a monologue based on his delivery. I kind of agree because he stammers through a bit of an intro and he throws it to Lorraine Newman as Sherry. So this monologue, Matt, is definitely the shortest. You've been kind to the brief monologues this year, but how did this one sit with you? Pretty shitty. Really not impressed that the host is drunk. Not a good look for him. Not a good look for the show. Really embarrassing and uh, pretty cringeworthy, as the kids say. Yeah, he flubbed his way through this a bit. Yeah, Christopherson clearly fumbly bumbled his way through the monologue and... At least it was short, but yeah, not great. So then we go to, uh, I was not a sucker for SNL and it's Lorraine Newman. She's in an office because the FCC wanted her to do this little bit or gave her permission to do this, this bit. Uh, Sherry says she was invited by Dave Wilson, the director to her house for a weekend because his wife was dead. But in reality, she was only out shopping. Um, So Dave got her hired as a secretary, even though she can't type or answer phones or anything like that. And this whole thing is a big play on the Elizabeth Ray Wayne Hayes sex scandal that was going on. So she talks about the different writers. Uh, Alan Zweibel made her feel guilty about how the Jewish people were treated in Egypt. So he'd strip off and make her sing Go Down Moses. Tom Schillen, Al, uh, Tom Schiller, Al Franken and Tom Davis got her to act out a scene that wasn't even in the show. And O'Donohue, in order to finish the Star Trek sketch, had her whisper, rocket ships are okay, but your missile is tremendous. And then Herb Sargent, another writer, or writing supervisor actually, would tie her up and spank her. She then wrote a book called I Was Not a Sucker for SNL. And she's called to go up and help Chevy with a weekend update. And she takes the apparatus, which is a big vacuum. Um, I'm interested to hear what you fellows have to say about this one. I thought Lorraine was great. I have no idea who she's supposed to be for the record, but she looks fantastic. And I really took this. Her voice is awesome, too. Really, she's just really good in this. And all these jokes about the writers really felt kind of season finale-ish to me. Like now, you know, they're 
they're going on vacation so they take the time to like poke some fun at themselves felt like an inside joke on the way out i don't think this sketch would ever see the light of day nowadays but it was delivered well like there's certain things you can say about what's appropriate what isn't but if it's done well lorraine did it so well it felt like she was part of the joke like you said she looked amazing like i don't know if anything else is going to come out of this other than the fact that i have a newfound appreciation for lorraine newman who i never thought was that great until recently she was great i did feel very much like you said though like a the high school kids getting their names in there maybe they thought the show was going to be canceled or something like that so they said well if we put our names on the air then we can definitely say we were part of this network show they just won like mad Emmys. The show's totally safe. We then go to a Chiron, and this person is the survivor of an office snuff party. And I don't think the poor woman in the audience gets the joke. I don't know if you guys noticed that or not, but she didn't know what the hell was going on. She didn't find it funny if she did. I thought it was pretty funny. Same. I, I was wondering if snuff party or something meant something different back in the day, but yeah, I know. She didn't get it. Snuff was a hot movie that I think came out in the late 70s. I wonder if that had come out at this point, but it was a bit of a sleaze sensation. I'll Google it on my work phone tomorrow just to make sure. (laughs) (laughs) When I saw Office Snuff Party, I was thinking completely the wrong way. I was thinking like they all got together and, and sniffed tobacco like that kind of snuff and i was like what a weird thing to say and then i was like oh no it's not <laughs> so now we have a samurai general practitioner and this one was written by alan zweibel so chris christopherson goes to uh, samurai futaba's office he says it's hard to find a doctor open at night so belushi as samurai futaba checks the eyes and weighs him there's a funny bit where he lubes up his finger next to the uh next to the height measurement on the scale and it's just to uh, to oil up the scale this sketch had its moments there was some fun bits with the skeleton and looking at a naked woman on an x-ray chris christopherson was mumbling bumbling and fumbling his way through this and i thought belushi did a pretty good job keeping him on track as far as samurai futaba it's still cartoony as hell but it's not quite as over the top as it used to be and either i'm getting used to it or or something but it's it's not doesn't really jump out and smack me the way the other ones were. Then one thing I'll say about the samurai bits is it is a popular recurring character that they've been smart enough to sort of space out a little bit. They both mumbled their way through pretty much. You know, obviously Christofferson from the sounds of things was uh, pretty out of it. And I kind of find Belushi's bad Japanese. Maybe he was told to tone it down or something because it ended up being a lot more just mumbling as opposed to trying to sound like an authentic take on trying to quote unquote speak Japanese. But there were, like you said, some funny bits here. Him greasing up his finger for the scale. I laughed out loud at that. And also kudos too for how well he chopped that apple. Even though I don't like the character too much, he clearly does put some effort into it. Some good bits, maybe a little too long and... Yeah, this was not a great start for uh, Christofferson either. Sure doesn't work for me at all. Uh, I'm never a big fan of the, the samurai bits. Knowing that Buck Henry wasn't present, I just assumed that they were not going to work, and I was correct. Christofferson is bringing nothing to this show so far for me. I always think these sketches are duds, and I thought this one was a dud. Keith, I think you're right that he is a little toned down, but I, I also, you know, to me that just makes it, a, instead of annoying, it became boring. So now we go to uh, Rita Coolidge, and I'll just do a quick bio on her. She was born in 1945 in Tennessee. She was a commercial jingle singer for years, and then she moved to L.A. and became a background singer for a a lot of bigger names like Leon Russell, Joe Cocker, Jimi Hendrix, etc. She sang the, uh, the female parts, or she sang backup on Superstar, the Joe Cocker version, and she got the nickname Delta Lady, which inspired a song by Leon Russell. 
Now, allegedly, she went on to write the piano part for the song Layla, which was recorded by Derek and the Dominoes, but never got any credit for it. She married Chris Christopherson in 73, and uh, they won a Grammy for a country song called From the Bottle to the Bottom, which to me sounds like the uh, most country title country song of all time. And uh, Lover Please was her most recent success. Here she's singing a song called Hula Hoop, and it's written by T-Bone Burnett, John Fleming, and Roscoe West. Burnett goes on to do another version uh, that has a very different feel to it. The song had been released about two years earlier on an album with Chris Christopherson called Natural Act. It was never a single, though. Um, I really liked this song, and uh, the performance was pretty good, and it was made far better when Gilda and Lorraine Newman come out and started using hula hoops. Lorraine Newman can fucking work that hoop. She did not break. Everybody else, I think they needed uh, a reset at some point. She could have kept going for the rest of the show, I'm sure. She is a natural. I'm not a big fan of Rita Coolidge. I don't like this kind of music. I didn't like the song. It's just not for me. I guess to be candid, because why wouldn't I be candid? Sometimes I can appreciate talent for talent's sake. And I'm not saying Rita Coolidge isn't talented, but I'm saying this was fucking wretchedly boring. I'm somewhere in the middle. First of all, she looked like when your parents say that they have share at home, but she's got a very, very nice voice. The song's not my cup of tea, but I didn't mind listening to it. I didn't feel the urge to skip to the end. Hula hoop, the chipmunks watched so Rita could run with these hula hoop anthems. And then eventually, I think Omi in like 2014 or something had his own hula hoop song. So maybe someday we'll get a big like medley or something of them all together. But yeah, as far as the the actual girls coming out and hula hooping at the end, Lorraine, like everything she's been doing lately has been on fire. Gilda and Rita in particular, they need more hula hoop confidence because like they'd be going and the hula hoop is still going at a good cycle. And then they'd stop themselves and then go again. It's like, you can keep going. You, you know, have more confidence in yourself. Rita was terrible. It was like the hula hoop was a tool of the bourgeoisie and she didn't want to touch it. <laughs> the next bit is a commercial. Garrett Morris is Jesse Owens, the Olympic legend. And for a limited time, you can buy a limited edition collector's coins commemorating the last of a dying breed. And that dying breed is the great white athlete. The white heroes of hockey, swimming, and javelin, which he calls spear chucking. This was very quick and very funny. I really like this. Yeah, I had no problem with it. I didn't think, maybe, I guess I didn't think it was as funny as you. I thought it was cute. But, it, I mean, it didn't stick around for long. I chuckled. Sensible chuckle. I enjoyed it. I, I mean, it is kind of a common thing to see in these episodes, though, where they don't really seem to have Garrett integrated in with the rest of the cast as much. It's more like they give him his own thing. But for me, this worked. It was funny. Garrett was good. There was some stumbling, but... Any sketch that ends with the line, send the money now, honky, I'm all for it. We now go to the Mississippi Delegate. It features Chevy as Ford. There's some goofy stuff with phones. And then Chris Christopherson comes in as an uncommitted delegate from Mississippi. Now, the Republican convention was due in August, and uh, Ford was trying to win as many votes as he could. And he actually hangs a map of Mississippi over one of Pennsylvania. Funny line, hi, Frank, may I call you Mr. Wade, as Christopherson comes in as the delegate. A little bit of fun bits about uh, mint tulips instead of mint juleps. Jane then enters as Betty Ford carrying some hors d'oeuvres. I get the appeal. I think this just wasn't for me. It's more Ford bits that were executed half decently, I suppose. But it was a lot of the same old, same old. Uh, Christopherson wasn't present enough to take it over the top. Jane wasn't there enough as a character for it to make a difference. This was completely flat. I enjoyed it more than I usually did, Ford, to be honest. And I think it was because uh, I, I find whoever is with him in the sketch 
is usually some kind of ass kisser. But Christofferson just got to sit there and be kind of more agitated and incredulous that he still was asking, well, maybe there's something I can do for you. This time there was somebody got to be like, you fucking kidding me? Probably my preferred Ford sketch of the season. I actually uh, laughed a few times during. Yeah, I'm on board with Matt on that one. I haven't watched as much of the Ford stuff as you guys have. I enjoyed this a lot, actually. It was Chevy doing good slapstick comedy, not overdoing it. Uh, I don't know, slapstick, dumb comedy is very hard to do, especially consistently. But I think he did at least one funny thing a minute for this sketch, and in some cases more than that. So hello there, Frank, May or may I call you Mr. Wade? Awesome line. I loved it. I loved when he turned on the lighter instead of the intercom and when he ate the toothpick. I, I thought Chevy was fantastic here. Actually may have oddly been one of the best bits from Christofferson too in terms of acting tonight. Our next bit is Police Date and this was written by Michael O'Donohue and it features Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd playing uh, trigger-happy L.A. police officers Kevin Brute and Aramis McCord um, and Michael O'Donohue as Jeremy Musk plays the announcer. Um, basically, the story of this is it's a television show, and it's 20 years after Dragnet, when everyone was paroled, and they need a new kind of cop. In the locker room, Chevy and Aykroyd uh, are chatting about, should we do Chinese, should we do French, should we do whatever? Um, and they're called to the uh, homes of various criminals, uh, such as Chris Christopherson and John Belushi and Garrett Morris. And as soon as they get there, they shoot immediately. And after they shoot and kill their uh, suspect, they talk about, uh, should we go to an Indian? Should we do this? And it's a play on words here that they're not talking about food, but rather the ethnicity of the next people they're going to shoot. Well, I didn't like this at all. I was really kind of angry that this stupid sketch got four different sets and then i noticed they just recycled sets from other sketches there is one spot that laughed where chevy almost runs around the set rather than through the door the highlight of this was a model kit covered with uh, toy cars that um that i really enjoyed and kind of wished there was a bit more with the uh, with the toy cars but uh yeah this was kind of flat for me if you like the toy cars uh they made a movie a couple years later called blues brothers I'm pretty sure Aykroyd and Belushi just watched this sketch and thought, if only we had a budget where we can actually just smash as many cars as we can. And they did, and it worked really well there. I kind of disagree in terms of, I found the part with the toy cars almost annoying with like the sirens and all the smashing in the background. Maybe I had my volume up too loud. But this is one where looking at it from today's point of view with everything going on with police corruption, brutality and all that, it was very difficult to watch, but I'd be lying if I said there weren't parts of it that it was so over the top. It did a full 360 around and I found it funny in terms of how oblivious they were and essentially awful cops they were in terms of just showing up, shooting right away. It's not funny, but in the context of a sketch, I'd be lying if I said it. I didn't laugh at a couple points. Loved it. Thought it was controversial in the right way. Thought it was well played by those two. Uh, they're just such smarmy pricks. Those two can be. Chevy just seems to give that off naturally. And Aykroyd uh, is just a good actor. He had the blonde hair and uh, he's doing the great voice. And I love the little walk they did out of each scene when the uh, alarm would go off. It was, it was almost like a video game cutscene. They would just do and almost slide out of the frame. I thought it was great. I, th I thought uh, I, I did not pick up at the start of the sketch uh, that they were asking about their victims. I, I just thought they were two just terrible, violent cops. I guess I'm uh, a little bit at oddsies. I thought this was really good. And I didn't like the cars so much, actually. That was my least favorite part. So we go to a Chiron, uh, and this is a glitch. They actually show a Chiron from earlier in the show that talks about leprosy. 
And then they, uh, as it's placed on a woman, they actually switch it and it says, we'll remain a virgin for one more hour. So this glitch referred to as a paying audience member as both a, a virgin and a leper, but she gets a kick out of it. We then go to Weekend Update, and Don Pardo announces Weekend Update with Don Pardo, and Chevy Chase is on the phone, and he refers to Pardo as a washed-up game show announcer with a drug and alcohol dependency who just really wants to be on camera, and Pardo shoots a jab back at Chevy. I don't have much from this Weekend Update, uh, which might mean not much stuck with me, but the two bits I have are Olga Corbett will begin a new training regimen for the 1980 Olympic Games, which includes hypnosis, isometrics, and accidentally shooting her opponent, Nadia Komanech. And then Jimmy Hoffa has been missing a year, and his successor says after putting a candle on a block of cement that Hoffa will always be a cornerstone in the organization. That joke might have been recycled. Did I, I might have heard that on an earlier episode. But that's the first half that I put. Is there anything extra you guys got or a, anything on, on those things? No, I, just the uh, the intro with Pardo and Chase, again, gives me season finale vibes where they're, uh, they're feeling a little more entitled than usual to uh, give each other little ribbings around the edges. Yeah, first half of this weekend update was just a meh for me. I'm sure it's funnier at the time, but the jokes don't really carry over 40-some years later. For sure, yeah. Chevy seems sick of this shit. Yeah. He gets sick of this yeah. shit vibes from Chevy. Yeah, there's there's a lack of something that was there earlier on, for sure. So we go to a commercial, Talking Country, and it's Chris Christopherson, who was a Rhodes Scholar, and he said he grew up, he's very smart and very polite. His family was ashamed, though, that the lyrics he was written were in perfect English, like Bobby McGee and I. He figured out how to get around this and is now selling a book that teaches people how to talk country by dro dropping G's and learning colloquial terms. This was well written, but it was not well done. He mumbled through a couple of jokes. Um, I do think this is a product that might have sold quite well at uh, certain times, especially like the early 90s when people were getting into line dancing and stuff. Yeah, I have to agree. Uh, it's around this point where I kind of realized, like, if you couldn't tell by my intro at the beginning, as much of a fanboy for Christofferson as I am, yeah, there's something just not clicking here. Couldn't agree more with what you say about well-written. Maybe if he wasn't on the sauce, maybe this would have been a home run. But yeah, it, it was tough. I mean, I didn't enjoy it either. I didn't really think there was a lot there to enjoy. I think Chris Christopherson is a disaster of a host. Uh, I'm struggling through his material. Thankfully, the the players are, are carrying the show this week, uh, with the exception of Weekend Update, which is usually pretty bleak lately. So I guess it's not really an exception. Second half of Weekend Update, Lorraine, as her reporter character, comes to us via satellite from what's supposed to be NASA to talk about the Viking spaceship, but she's not at NASA. She's at Nassau in the Bahamas. Francisco Franco scored a 10 out of 10 in cadaver diving at the Olympics. Chevy winds up the season by saying that for viewers tired of weekend update, he will not repeat the top story. Yeah, Lorraine was, uh, she cracked me up. I mean, it's just such a stupid joke, but it, you know, the right people doing a stupid joke make it work. And that was the hardest I laughed at weekend update. Yeah, this is the second bit where Lorraine made the most out of not really a whole lot and once again i i'm typically not this much of a perv but she looked fantastic and she was funny so that worked otherwise that was a nice break between an otherwise pretty dismal weekend update then we go to me and bobby mcgee chris christopherson starts singing me and bobby mcgee 
He cuts it off. NBC has tracked down the real Bobby McGee, whose real name is Bobby Paisner, but she's now known as Bobby Farber. Gilda comes up as the actual Bobby McGee, and she's basically a middle-aged teacher type, and she explains what happened after the song. She married a guy named Larry Farber, who comes up on stage, and it's Belushi, and he sells women's pocketbooks, and he takes a picture of Bobby and Chris together. Bobby says that her kids are big fans of Chris, but she gets them mixed up with Paul Simon. And then she gets Chris Christopherson to sing the song. Uh, Chris is a little uh, hesitant to do so. Uh, Larry Farber gets annoyed with the words and sort of says that Christopherson's relationship with his wife was a bit more intimate than he thought. Farber gets a little annoyed with Christopherson, then gets angry and says, how about we step outside for a knuckle sandwich, pal? And then Chris brings out Rita Coolidge. Rita Coolidge does not know how to deliver dialogue for in front of a live audience. Other than the knuckle sandwich, the best line of this sketch was, I may not be a folk singer, but I'm not stupid. This, I really, I thought this was the best use of Chris Christopherson. Uh, Gilda was great and Belushi was top form here. I thoroughly enjoyed this. I loved this, this sketch. It was a good concept. Once again, maybe not the most well executed, but that is not, Gilda or Belushi's fault. I think this is actually probably the most I enjoyed Belushi, which is when he's a bit more buttoned down. But it also ended up having some of the more manic stuff when he started to get angry and started to want to fight Christofferson. Rita Coolidge coming out at the end, it was... It felt very much like she was just being tacked in there. Maybe like, you know, can you give my wife a bit more stuff to do? This is middle of the road for me. Some good stuff, but overall pretty jumbled. Give my wife more stuff to do. Anything to get you out of this office, you drunk. Uh, This was uh, Rita Coolidge's bit was just really bad. Uh, The highlight of this for me was, uh, you know, when this started, I'm like, oh, shit, if this is more fucking music, I don't know what I'm going to do. Thank God Gilda and Belushi came out. I thought they were really funny. Uh, I actually enjoyed Christopherson more being exasperated with President Ford because maybe it's because of his uh, drunken weariness with the president. Pretty good for me. Didn't need Rita. Maybe Chris agreed with you there, Matt, because it kind of seemed like he was going through the song so quickly. And this could be part of the sketch because he knows that this is making it awkward for everybody. But it seemed like he wanted to perform the song less than anybody wanted to hear it done. Oh, yeah. He just wanted to get out of there for sure. Which and it's probably the case at most of his concerts. He probably, you know, I guess you get sick of your hit, right? And not everyone's Van Morrison who just bans their number one, right? Well, especially when your hit is probably more famous for somebody else doing it. Um, and actually, the Farbers come back in a, in a later episode, rather prominent one that we'll we'll cover at one point too. Our next sketch is uh, the gynecologist sketch. I don't know this for sure, but this one has the same feel as the the Marilyn Suzanne Miller bits, like the uh, the one from last week's episode, Matt, where they were talking about the the guy's wang and uh, the the sleepover. Yeah. Jane Curtin is on the phone with a friend and she's talking about a blind date she just had. And it was a blind date with her uh, her gynecologist played by Chris Christopherson. Jane is super uncomfortable with it. And they slowly go on to admit that they've kind of had a crush on one another. This is another one of them smart, low-key sitcom-y bits that have really been working. I think Jane is amazing at this. She does really well in these pieces. Christopherson was just a train wreck in here. And, and I didn't believe him as being someone who would have that job. And if he had that job, I don't believe him ever being one that uh, that somebody would, would, would choose to have as their, uh, their practitioner. I mean, in that situation, why don't you just be like, why do you want to see my penis? 
helps even it out. Just look at my penis for a while. Examine it medically. Well, she established last week in the other one that she doesn't want to look at anyone's penis, right? Yeah. Well, that that really is. That what was that sketch where they were like, "Would you look at it?" <laughs> was that? Yeah, that was that's Jane the one. Too, right. That was Jane and Jane and Gilda. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was the one. What's her face wouldn't do. Louise Lasser. Yeah. Chris Christopherson's a waste of space this episode for me. But I, I mean, I thought Jane was funny. There was there wasn't a ton of jokes here. I liked the premise though. Actually, I thought it, I thought it had a lot of potential. Yeah, it just trailed off. I felt like it was originally written as a joke, like, hey, how funny would it be if you had to date your gynecologist? And then as they were writing it, they probably felt like this might be a real issue. And there were certain parts of it where it kind of seemed more heartfelt than I would expect from SNL. Um, Jane obviously was awesome. I almost wonder if based on the episodes I've done with you guys and even a lot of the episodes I've watched from listening to the show is if she does so well in the sketches she does because she doesn't get spread as thin as a lot of the other not ready for primetime players. So she was great in this. I actually found despite being, you know, uh, you know, mumbly and not really adding too, too much. I did find that Christofferson was a lot more likable in this. But yeah, I don't know. I found this was this was fine. This was good as far as I'm concerned. Not funny, but actually had a few uh, pretty decent moments in it. So we now go to Chris Christopherson and Rita Coolidge singing Eddie the Eunuch together. It's from Surreal Thing. It's Chris Christopherson's next album that was due to be released in July of 76. That album also features Gary Busey. Um, he's on background tracks on that one. Of the three songs, I think I liked this one the second most. I just want to say, if I have to listen to any more AM gold rock on SNL, I will cut off my own balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I found this one didn't add anything to me. Um, I have no opinion on this. They, I understood. Our next bit is called Praising Carter, and it features Garrett Morris as preacher, uh, famed activist, and uh, elected representative Andrew Young. Young was part of Martin Luther King's circle. He was a prominent voice during the civil rights movement. In this sketch, he's talking about Jimmy Carter, and he really hypes Carter and, and makes allusions to the fact that his initials are JC, just like Jesus, and he's really hyping him up. And then Dan Aykroyd comes out as Jimmy Carter, and after doing all this hype, Carter mentions that Young won't be getting a political appointment because Carter's not going to fall for political nepotism. The look on Garrett's face as Young as he's hearing this is pretty priceless. It dissolves to Garrett Garrett as young, waking up from a dream. And he says to his wife, I assume, played by Rita Coolidge, that he had a dream. And uh, she says that that's very beautiful. Incidentally, uh, he got appointed as the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. This could have been a lot better than it was. I don't know. Uh, I thought Garrett was great. Carter was great. Uh, they did a really quick flip there where Garrett went from being on stage to being in, in his bed pretty seamlessly. Um, however, there was just something missing on this one. Yeah, Garrett was great in this one. I mean, they, he had so little to do this episode that I don't even think they bothered changing him out of his Jesse Owens outfit. I don't know. His facial reactions when uh, Jimmy Carter was going on about how he's not going to get anything was fantastic. Some of the best like facial work I've seen in SNL for all the episodes I've seen. This is really great for Garrett. I'm not too keen on the Ackroyd Carter impression yet, but I'm also not super familiar with Jimmy Carter, to be perfectly honest with you. So it could be 
amazing. It could be awful. I couldn't tell you. I just see Aykroyd doing another version of uh, what Aykroyd does. The ending was pretty damp with the whole I have a dream, but the audience seemed to laugh quite a bit at uh, what I'm assuming was uh, Garrett running and jumping into a bed and putting a blanket on himself because they laughed quite a bit during what would have been that transition. I thought it was pretty okay. It seemed to me like a top of the show sketch. Uh, I really thought Garrett was uh, a great preacher. His hallelujahs and his amens uh, were rhythmic and on point. But of course, Garrett is uh, musically talented, so I guess that shouldn't surprise me. Dan Aykroyd was okay. Garrett's face, I thought, uh, was hilarious. I didn't really see anything wrong with this. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. And our next sketch, it's our final full sketch of the night. It's, it's called Waiting for Pardo, or, which is a parody of Samuel Beckett's Waiting for Godot, starring Chevy Chase and Chris Christopherson. First and foremost, they definitely look the parts that were originally uh, Estragon and Vladimir. They're there waiting for Don Pardo, and Christopherson doubts that he exists. Chevy's never seen him, but he has heard him, and they just do this sort of Beckett-esque conversation, and Pardo jumps in with these political, philosophical-themed commercials, and then they start singing 100 bottles of beer, and Pardo's jumping in periodically with, with more commercials. To me, this was very much a stretch. Christofferson is completely mumbling, and not just mumbling, but doing it at the wrong times. You can hear him sort of muttering under a Don Pardo bit. Chevy... To his credit, does a good job of mirroring his volume and and stuff like that, but keeping things coherent and 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 on track. To me, I mean, I I don't particularly like Beckett very much. Don't like waiting for Godot too much. It's so weird that it's even at the best of times, it's hard to parody. And I mean, 90% of young playwrights either try to parody or write an homage to this sort of stuff. And it, it almost never works. Other than the look, which was pretty bang on, I don't think this was good at all. And it was a little too heady, I think, for one in the morning. Yeah, I can't disagree. You would think that like playing a bum, especially looking like that, would have been one of the better uses for Christofferson. You know, you can get away with sounding like a mumbling drunk. But yeah, I don't know. It was a combination of, like you said, it, it was too smart for its own liking i found and initially when i heard it was waiting for pardo i was like oh keith will probably like this because i know that you've liked a lot of the stuff that he's done so far they outthought themselves on this one it felt too long and it wasn't a long sketch terrible terrible placement in the show uh christopherson sucks i think he's he's just a wretched host this sketch is stupid it's long it's boring they're out of gas i wish the last fucking sketch of season one was a bit of more of a home run. Our last official segment is Chris Christopherson sings I Got a Life of My Own. And uh, I just thought this was meh. This show fucking ended exactly in the way it should have. Me just being agitated by it. I don't know. They should have called in a backup. Let Chevy do it. But I know, you know, it's Chris Christopherson. It's a name. He's a cool guy. He unbuttons a shirt all the way pretty much down to the navel. And he's got that beard and the the hippie wife so it's giving you a little bit of cred but i mean you got your own cred to uphold you're an emmy winning show uh you have higher standards lauren he, lauren should have shut him down chris christopherson should not have hosted this show i also hate when the musical guest is the host even though his wife was there uh, the host shouldn't be singing i don't like that either but i mean that's just a me thing i noticed another thing at the end of the last sketch 
they had another Chiron pop up saying something like this person's making loud noises with their teeth and tongue, but you can't hear it. But they didn't show an audience member. So, you know, I don't think Chris is the only one drunk for this episode because whoever's doing <laughs> the Chirons has fucked up three or four times. <laughs> in what should be the easiest part of the show. As far as the song, it's, I think I probably enjoyed it more than both of you guys, but that just goes towards my musical tastes. That being said, this is not really the type of song I like Chris Christopherson performing. I like the more, I guess, scaled back. I was going to say older Christopherson, but really a lot of the stuff I like is from when he was actually a young man, but performing more like outlaw country style. Whereas this felt more like trying to be a pop rock musician for the seventies, despite not being a huge fan of the song. He did have his working boots on. I think for all the episodes I've watched and partaken, he is in almost everything. I think he may have even been shot by the cops. <laughs> so for a guy who's half in the bag, at least he was there, but yeah, you know, He's definitely better at the musical aspects than the acting tonight. Yeah, they probably didn't want him to sit down for two seconds or he wouldn't get back up. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> so then we go to the goodbyes. Christopherson gives a, a big shout out to the to the Saturday Night Live band. Well deserved. Um, and then he gives another one to his own band. And then he gives another one to his band again and then doesn't mention the cast. Probably an oversight, to be honest with you. But the cast comes out for the goodbyes. And I noticed right away, Aykroyd was not there. But this time we have an answer because he was doing a voiceover during the credits, plugging the Beach Boys special that he and Belushi uh, appear in. But yeah, let's let's get into the uh, the epilogue here and into our final thoughts because I'm really chomping at the bit to hear from Matt. But first, uh, Chili, can you tell us what, what the next 50 years were like for Chris Christopherson? Well, they were better than tonight. Basically, <laughs> about four months after this, he was arguably in his biggest movie. He won a Golden Globe for, of all things, acting in a musical or comedy for his performance in A Star is Born with Barbara Streisand. It was a huge hit movie and I think basically launched his acting career, even though he was acting before this. I think that's really the thing that made him uh, seen as an A-lister. He starred in the infamous flop, Heaven's Gate, uh, being nominated for a Raspberry Award in 1980, and then continued acting in to, to less acclaim for a few decades, doing about a movie a year. Uh, maybe his most famous role in the last 40 years was as um, Abraham Whistler in The Blade Trinity, alongside other SNL flop Wesley Snipes. He still continued to be a legend musically, which I think watching tonight's episode it is where his bread and butter in he's a musician who dabbled in acting had some success but uh, he won a bunch of country music awards but most famously he formed the group the highwaymen with willie nelson waylon jennings and the man he basically home invaded johnny cash and in recent years you know he's been awarded a lifetime achievement award at the grammys in 2014 well deserved and he's been married to his current wife since 1983, Lisa Myers. And I mean, unfortunately, he has been uh, in ill health for the last several years. I'm glad to see that. Obviously, I think his focus, much like tonight, was in music. And probably that is where it should have remained. Okay. Uh, and Rita Coolidge. She went on to have, shortly after this, four consecutive pop hits. All were covers, but many were arguably better than the original. She did get divorced from Christopherson in 1980, and she stayed employed with uh, she stayed involved with music and up, up to this day. Um, she sang. Matt might have some interest in this. She sang on Roger Wat Waters' album "Amused to Death" in '92, 
Um, Rita Coolidge is uh, part Cherokee. And in 1997, she formed an indigenous group called Walela, and they were quite successful for uh, uh, for a few years there. Rita Coolidge released her latest releases. There was a Christmas album, a Rita Coolidge Christmas, that came out in 2012. And in 2018, an album called Safe in the Arms of Time. Uh, she sang the title track to the film Octopussy, and this is her sole Saturday Night Live appearance. I was just going to say, she's like graceful share. That's right. Yeah. Boutique share. <laughs> so let's talk about the host. Uh, he was a very weak host. Would have been a great musical guest by himself or as paired up with Coolidge. His vibe was sort of like to me when like an athlete or a politician or a musician, somebody outside of acting hosts. And it's weird because Christofferson actually became an actor. I thought he was poorly cast in a few bits. Um, like I couldn't buy him as a gynecologist, for example. He was dropping a lot of lines, mumbling under a, a few others, um, just kind of making a mess up there at times. Where I really appreciated that, in a way, was to see how the other cast members were carrying the load for him and, and putting him on track and stuff. And he wasn't a complete, obviously, bumbling fool, but there was definitely some uh, some hiccups due to his uh, hiccups. <laughs> yeah, this kind of hurts for me to say, because obviously I'm a pretty big fan, but yeah, this was uh this is a rough night out. I think it showed once again I do give him points for the fact that he was very involved. There was not a whole lot of tonight that he wasn't in. He did two or three musical bits. He was in almost every sketch. He seemed charming, you know what I mean? Like just because he flubbed some lines here and there, there were certainly bits of it that I enjoyed and it wasn't a total train wreck, but overall yeah, after this Saturday night, I think his Sunday morning must have come down pretty hard the next day. Uh, yeah, Chili was right. It's uh, no surprise what I feel. This is a uh, terrible host. I'm sure it's, it sounded really good on paper. Good name for the end of the season, but uh, didn't work out. They should have pulled the plug when they fucking had to drag him back drunk as fuck. Like, have a little more respect for your show. I don't like country music. It's, so it's hard for me to sit here and say the music was shitty because that is so hyper subjective uh but i know there was way too much of it and uh, and rita coolidge was just boring as sin god bless her this is the epitome of one of those shows keith you kind of alluded to it this is carried entirely by the cast she's a boring woman i think that sums up my thoughts yep um i shouldn't say she's a boring woman that 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 sounds terrible i find her <laughs> style of music dreadful I didn't mind her music, but as a human being, I can't stand this woman. <laughs> no. So, uh, yeah, Matt's touched on the music. I'm gonna just going to jump in. I actually, I kind of liked it. I was glad they spread it around like they did. She did one by himself. They did one together. Then he did one at the end. Really liked Hula Hoop. Kind of liked Eddie the Eunuch. And then uh, I Got a Life of My Own was just flat for me. So, uh, yeah, um, this is the part that I'm really intrigued about because as I was watching this episode, I was wondering where you guys were going to sit on these. So what was your worst bit of the night, fellas? For me, the worst bit, it's uh, it's kind of a toss-up. It'd be either Weekend Update, uh, just because with the exception of the little bit with Lorraine, it was a pretty big chunk of the episode that didn't really get a chuckle, but I think I'm going to give the worst bit to Waiting for Pardo. It just, the audience didn't seem to enjoy it, which at least the audience enjoyed parts of Weekend Update. And Weekend Update had the decent little bit with the Nassau, Nassau joke with Lorraine. So yeah, worst bit is Waiting for Pardo. Hard agree. 
terrible, terrible bit. Just fucking stupid. Come on. This is how you're going out? Does nobody give a shit that this is the season finale of your show? Everybody's asleep. Nobody wants to be there. It's July. Everybody, I think everybody's pissed they're working. Dreadful sketch at the end of the show. For me, it was the Gerald Ford bit. It went on forever, and it was just more of the same. And I know Matt took a different take on it, but uh, this that was painful to me. And I, I usually like the political humor. That was my worst of the night. Uh, best segment of the night, fellas. I'm going to go counter with what you said and i actually really enjoyed uh the gerald ford bit so for me i thought i liked chevy's slapstick i found it was some of the best use of christopherson maybe it's because i'm not as familiar with it i have been watching as much of chevy as gerald ford but i liked the subtle physical comedy of it best bit for me it was tough for me i'm definitely uh more on the side of chili in that uh, i really liked that sketch and it was a contender but uh my favorite of the night was uh chevy and dan being the uh, cops and just very, very hungry cops. <laughs> I'm, that was my second pick for worst. I'm, I'm way out tonight, I guess. And I don't think that's happened yet, Matt, where somebody's best was someone else's worst. Uh, I, I don't think. No, it hasn't. There. No. My best without question was the me and Bobby McGee segment. I, I loved every second of it. Bobby McGee grew up and became someone. Perfect performances by both Gilda and Belushi. Who was your star of the night, fellas? I'll go first. My star of the night was, uh, I'd say, Chevy Chase. Uh, I liked his Gerald Ford. He didn't have much to work with with the cold open, but even that I enjoyed. And uh, the waiting for Pardo, despite being awful, I do agree with you in the fact that he at least brought his tone down to match Christofferson. So not a lot of contenders tonight, but I'm going to give it to Chevy. My star of the night is Lorraine Newman from uh, her excellent Valley Girl, her Olympic level hula hooping and uh she was just great and dry on weekend update uh if she was on the screen tonight i was laughing and i went with belushi larry farber was hilarious to me and he actually for me brought the samurai to uh something that didn't piss me off right away and for me it's harder to win me over once i've sort of turned on you 99 percent of that is for his larry farber so just overall, like the last episode with Louise Lasser, this definitely feels like a last minute tack on. So early in a show's run, I'm not sure that I should be feeling that everyone is tired and, and just wants to go away for a little while. I liked the music. Two out of three were great for me. This was very much an episode for me where less was more. The more subtle samurai was palatable. Garrett's short bit about the coins was great. Bobby McGee was good. And I enjoyed all of Lorraine's stuff um, and Jane's part in the gynecology sketch. Um, and I loved the, the car models on the flip side, Chris Christopherson bumbled and mumbled his way through sketches. It didn't benefit anything for the most part though. The cast was great. They seemed to be all in and they were definitely bailing Chris out a few times. But for me, this episode, there was just way too much falling apart. A lot not funny, and this just can't be considered a good episode for me. The things that are there that can sometimes elevate bad comedy or, or weak sketches, like uh, great music, a, a good Weiss film, or the home movie, or, or whatever, they just weren't there tonight at all. Number-wise, I'm giving this one a 5 out of 10. Yeah, I'm going to give it the same score, 5 out of 10 for me. It was definitely, it did not feel like necessarily a first season episode. There was no Muppets. There was, uh, I mean, for me, there was no women in herstory <laughs> sketches, which seemed to follow me around. There were no home movies, which I have not enjoyed any of them so far. 
if you told me this episode happened in 1980, I probably would have believed you because it didn't have all those extra things that made it more of a variety show. Christopherson did not do a great job as host, and there was just not a ton of jokes in this comedy show. So I can't give it any more than a 5 out of 10. It gets that high for not having things I didn't like, more so than for having things that I do enjoy. Yeah, I agree with Chili. The the tone is slightly different uh, with the lack of the Gary Weiss film, uh, the lack of the Muppets, and the lack of like a home movie. There's there's something a little more, dare I say, modern SNL about this episode. Well, sidebar, except for all the fucking music. There's too much music. It's such a shitty thing to do as a show if you're planning it out because with music, it's going to be hit or miss. Everybody tunes into SNL because they want to see wild comedy. They want to see cool shit. Uh, And that's been my mantra all season. Where's the cool shit? There was no cool shit on this episode. Like, yeah, Chris Christopherson's an outlaw. Nothing says an outlaw like a movie with Barbara Streisand. Whatever. He's a disaster. The music's a disaster. The not ready for primetime players shine and everything they're in, they carry the entire episode for me. What a wet fart of a season finale. Hugely disappointed. Four out of ten. So I'm uh, five. Chili's five. Matt's four. Uh, That brings our average to 4.7. The Internet Movie Database fans over there gave this one a 6.7. So we are lower than our our, our usual exchange rate. The uh, IMDB voted this episode the 16th best of that season and the 320th best of all time as of July 2020. So with that, we've reached the end of season one, Matthew. And, we did uh, it. Chili. Yeah, we did it. Season one is now in the bag. First off, I want to thank you, Chili, for joining us tonight. I, I think your episodes, uh, your second two, are more enjoyable to watch, at least, than your first two were. Oh, 100%. Like, these last two have been, despite having some pretty serious issues, leaps and bounds more watchable. And I think that goes down almost for the uh, just the layout of the show. I don't like the attempted weird freakiness variety show of early SNL. I like when it's more of a professional performance. Much, much better than the first two. And you'll be joining us again fairly early in season two. I don't think we've nailed down exactly what host yet. Sure. Send me the worst ones you got. Anyone high on opium? Anyone who's <laughs> halfway through having a stroke or something? If they're doing something <laughs> shitty on SNL, I'll watch Maybe even just Woody Allen. Is Woody Allen on the show? Yeah, you're, you're poor, you're tired, you're huddled masses yearning to host a show. The log with a chili. So on our next episode, we're going to take a break from full-on episodes, and Matt and I are going to do a special sort of 24.5 episode where we're just going to sort of recap our thoughts on the evolution and the cast and different sketches from season one. That should be a fun time, Matt, in about a week or so. Yeah, I think so. I think we should actually make the episode as long as season one was. (laughs) Until then, we will be getting rip-roaring drunk and dating our gynecologists here in SNL.